Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What if you found out that if you did not change the oil in your car this week, that by next Sunday it won't be running? How many of you know someone who wouldn't get the oil changed? Oh, might be close to home, huh? Well, let's talk about something even a little, uh, much more uh, serious. What if you found out that you're going to die this Saturday, this coming Saturday? You're going to die this Saturday. Would that change what you do between now and then? You think it would? Or maybe if you had two days, would it change? Which, what am I going to do with the rest of the day and tomorrow? And Well, what would you think if somebody said to you, and you found out somehow you knew, listen, at some point in the near future, you're going to die. What would you do? And I think the idea is what happens to us, we say, oh, I'm going to die by Saturday or this Tuesday or whatever. Oh, man, I got some things I got to do. I need to take care of. I need to make sure. That, that, that. But if we finally said, well, you know, at some point in the near future, you're going to die. And you wonder, in the near future, is that two weeks or two months? Two years would be near future, wouldn't it? When you think about your death. I think we find that we would start just kind of doing what we're doing now, right? And thinking, oh, I, at some point I need to. <laughs> I'm not sure, right? But this idea of the end coming should affect us and how we live our lives. And Peter talks about this in his letter here. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1393. That's in the Bible in the chairs there. In the previous verses, Peter talked about how we should live our lives, you know, exclusively for the Lord and how the Lord is going to judge uh, people. Uh, he will judge Christians at the, great, uh, at the um, judgment seat of Christ uh, before they, I guess, I don't know before they, but at the beginning of their time after, uh, um, before they go on in eternity with the Lord and then the great white throne judgment where he will judge those who don't know Christ, but he's going to judge. And so then Peter reminds us here in verse seven, and we talk about how we're supposed to live. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, so back up there in verse seven, but the end of all things is at hand. And based on what they believed in the New Testament and which we still believe today, we say this, this is a statement, that Christ's return is imminent. Christ's return is imminent. Now, we want to understand what imminent means. It means imminent literally means it's ready to happen. It's likely to occur at any moment. Okay? Now, haven't Christians been thinking that for hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of years? Christ is coming, so he hasn't yet. Well, Peter, interesting, in his second letter says... Don't let that fool you, because God's timing isn't like our timing, okay? But this idea of Christ's return, it could happen at any time. That's what the Bible teaches. That means it could happen today, right? Let's just pause and, and see if it happens in the next few seconds here. It didn't, but wouldn't that have been cool if it did? <laughs> Boom, right? Lord, return for us, and that would be so exciting. Um, but the idea is imminent. We, but, but Jesus said that we're not going to know. He said this. Go ahead. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So we don't know when that is. We don't know when it is. But uh, we do know this. It is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So I came to Christ back in 1975. Guess what? It's closer today than it was then. And whenever you came to Christ, it's closer today than it was then. And it could be today. And this is why, um, you know, it says it's high time to awake out of sleep. Well, there's a time to pay attention. And this is what Peter's getting at here. He says, but the end is drawing, it's drawing near. Uh, it's imminent. Christ's return is imminent. Now, when it says here, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, that could be a little confusing to you because I thought salvation is when I received Christ as Savior and I got saved, right? My sins were forgiven, I got eternal life, you know, God moved in. And that is true. But the Bible presents salvation as this whole big thing. We think, of, this is a timeline of our lives here in history, we think of a salvation happening when I, when I prayed to receive Jesus as Savior, you know, when I admitted that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and believed that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and then by faith I placed my trust in Him, you know, Lord, I received Jesus as my Savior. At that moment, every sin forgiven, we receive eternal life, God moves in, all those things. So we think, okay, that's when I got saved and that's salvation. That's only, for us in person, that's only the beginning. The Bible presents salvation in this way. It says that, that we have been, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. You say, well, what's that about? Well, that moment when I received Christ as Savior, I, I was saved, right? I was saved from the penalty of sin. You know, I, my eternal destiny was settled. But now, as I go on through my life, we've talked about this multiple, multiple times, how messed up are you? 
Well, I don't know for sure about you, but I know about me. And there's plenty of mess. You think all the things, you were born with a, a nature that was about you, that was self-centered, self-focused. You, you made choices, I made choices that went against what God says and, and that builds memories and emotions and ways of thinking and, and sin is present with us in our lives. And even though we get saved, we are forgiven forever and God moves in, but then we're still a mess. So we're like this big string, ball of string that is so, you know, you try to, Yesterday, I was running some uh, extension cords out to put up a few little Christmas lights. And it's like, wait a minute, what, right? They're trying to pull and it's all tangled. I get that done, but think about a, a big ball of string that's just so tangled, you try to pull it and it doesn't pull, right? Well, this is what the Lord is doing in our lives now. It's called the sanctification process. It's where we are, we're growing to be more like the Lord. And uh, he begins to untangle these things in our lives. And so we are being saved from all those consequences of sin in our lives. Does that make sense? Yes. In other words, sin took away, you know, uh, uh, took away life from us and we were dead. But now we become alive and now God is saving us from those consequences of sin in our lives. And it's, pro it's progressive and we grow in this. Well, even no matter how much I grow in this, is sin still present? Does sin still nip at my heels and occasionally grab me and I give in, whatever, right? It's still there. Well, there's, there's something else that's to be accomplished and that is where sin is gone. And I don't have sin anymore. He saves me from sin even being part. So we might think of it this way, that when we receive Christ as Savior, Jesus saves us once and for all from the penalty of sin, the eternal penalty of sin. We are saved. And then in our lives, he's saving us from the controlling power of sin, right? More and more, he's saving us. And one day, when either we die to go to be with him or he returns and takes us to himself, either way, we will be freed from the presence of sin, saved from the very presence of sin. Right? Okay, and so this is what it means when he talks about our salvation is nearer. Okay, so we are, we are in this process and we are headed to the final culmination. Like I said, if we, that may be when our lives come to an end. Lots of Christians have lived and died thinking the Lord might return and hasn't yet, but when they died, the Lord came for them, didn't he? Amen. You know, when we die, the Lord, I don't think we die and then kind of wander around and try to figure out where we are and what's going on. Now, when we die, Paul said it, when we die, our spirit leaves our body. And to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord is what Paul says. And so um, that moment, however that works, when we cross from here to there, and our, the Lord is there. He's come for us. And so he, he's coming for every one of us. If, if we know the Lord, he's coming for us. And like I said, that may be, uh, in our death, but if not, it'll be in his return. And both which, by the way, I'm going to start talking to you about that in our Bible study hour today, okay? About, excuse me, about some things that we understand about the Lord's return. But here's the point. Christ's return is imminent. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. It could be another thousand years. I doubt it but we don't know. 
But the fact that he is coming and he's coming for us either to return and bring us to himself or he's coming for us in our own deaths should make a difference in how we live our life, shouldn't it? That's what Peter's saying. So he says, okay, Christ's return is imminent, therefore. This leads to something, all right? So let's look and see what he says here. Verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Christ's return is imminent. Oh, by the way, that, let me just share this. That at hand, is at hand, in the Greek language is a perfect. It's a perfect. And that, the, the perfect form of the verb means something has been accomplished or set in place and the impact and the effects of that are continuing. Okay? So once Christ came to earth, lived sinless life, dies for our sins, rises again, ascends to heaven. As far as we know, we don't know the day or time. It's, that's, now his return is set. He's coming. And that, that continues today. So this is how we live. His return is imminent. All right. So we're going to get serious. He says this. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. And so because Christ's return is imminent, you need to get serious about your life and about your dependence on God. Those two things. You need to get serious about your life. Well, the word serious, what are we talking about here? It means this, that it's a God-controlled perspective that regulates your life. A God-controlled perspective. That's where we're getting serious because we tend to think sometimes, oh, I gotta be serious. That's no fun, right? That's no fun. Uh, but I, that's not the point. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people who I believe that it was enjoyable to be around Jesus. I think there was some fun there. I think some things were probably funny there. I mean, don't you know God has to have a sense of humor? I mean, I look in the mirror sometimes and go, God must have a sense of humor here. Right? Um, there's so many things that are just funny and good funny. And so being serious, it's not about this, but it's having a, a, a God-controlled perspective on life. It's regulated. But this idea, yeah, it was fun to be with Jesus, but guess what? Being with Jesus wasn't about fun. See the difference? It wasn't about fun, no, but when you're with Jesus, you're, Jesus was focused in on what was he here for? What was his father's purposes? How was he supposed to be living? What are, you know, we have a mission we're on, all that kind of stuff, and there's fun along the way. But so being serious means that you, you uh, focus in on these kinds of things in your life. You say, what does God say is important? What's God's perspective on what's important in my life and in your life? What is God's perspective on what my priorities ought to be and what your priorities ought to be? And we look at life that way, and it's based on his word, out of his word. We go to his word, and we, we read, and, and we see, you know, what it says. It says about our relationships with our families, husbands, wives, children, uh, parents. It talks to us about what our, our relationship with the church is, our brothers and sisters in Christ and God's mission in the world. It talks about, you know, what our money's for and, and how to enjoy it as well as to accomplish God's purposes with it. He gives us wisdom for all kinds of things in life. And so it's, it's, it's being God's word and gaining his perspective on life to where then we set our priorities accordingly. 
So let me ask you. When we're talking about a God-given or God's perspective, control perspective that regulates your life, you know, your priorities and how you live. Do you have the same priorities that God does? You know, I'm thinking about that this week, and I'm thinking, well, I, you know, I try to live by what the Bible says. And I said, okay, yes, but listen, he, you know, brought me to a couple areas of my life, and he says, are you, but are you prioritizing this the way God would prioritize this in your life? Huh. I need to think about that some more. You think about this. How about your relationship with your church? It's an idea. Uh, you know, how high of a priority is that from God's perspective? Well, then ask the question, how high of a priority is it from your perspective? You see, that starts to govern your choices and your relationship with your, your church, your, the individuals in your church, how you interact with them, what you do with your life and service. And I don't know, I'll talk a bit more about that later. In your family, you think of my family, what's, you know, where does my, my family surely has pretty high priorities, should, but what's God's priorities there? And what do I, is it making sense to you what I'm saying? Is that we need to have a God, if we're going to be serious, like Peter's talking about, we need to say, okay, God, what's your perspective on this? And by the way, God's perspective is not like, I don't mean like, oh, what's your perspective? What's your perspective? What's your perspective? Oh, I'll pick one. No, God's perspective is the perspective. Okay, and so it's, it's about living with that mindset and letting that control your life and your choices and your values, okay? Now, big problem. Big problem that comes along with this, and that is that you aren't capable on your own of living this way. You aren't capable on your own of really understanding God's perspective, much less living it. Okay? Now, you say, well, what's the point of telling me I'm supposed to do it then? Well, the idea is that God can and will enable you to do that. What you need to acknowledge is that you are dependent on him. And this is the idea of prayer. He says, be, be serious, right? And be watchful in prayer, paying attention, being diligent to pray. Because prayer is really, I mean, it's two main ideas in prayer that I think will be helpful to us. Because first let me say this. I don't know your background, all of you. Don't know what your experience is in life. And, but it's something that sometimes we've said to kids when they were little. Say your prayers. And I want to tell you today, don't say your prayers. Don't say your prayers. Now I'm not saying don't pray. I'm saying don't say your prayers, your background. Well, maybe, you know, somebody else told me what to pray or what words. And by the way, you can pray words that you've memorized from someplace as long as you mean them, right? But it's not about saying prayers. It's not about a checklist. Oh, I prayed. It's, it's first and foremost about a relationship with God. It's an interpersonal relationship that you have God where you communicate with him and he communicates with you. And I don't mean in some weird way, whoo, I'm catching signals, whoo. I'm talking about... It's, he communicates with you through his word. He, he, he does work in your heart and mind and burden you about things that are consistent with his word or how to apply his word. He will um, 
prompt your heart and tug at your, you know, give you, you know, help you think about things, even as we're singing songs, as we're fellowshipping with one another, as we're reading the books, whatever. But it's, it's the idea of this community, ongoing communication with God. It's not about us going through our lives and once in a while saying, oh, okay, God, da, ba, ba, ba. There are times when we do stop and very focused, but it needs to be a growing thing in our lives. And so this is what prayer is about, being watchful in it, being consistent in it. Being di- I mean, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I think it is, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Now, I don't think, I, oh no, I didn't pray. 30 seconds ago. We aren't talking about that, but we're talking about an ongoing awareness of God in your life, ongoing conversation with him, praying. But the other big thing about prayer is it, prayer is, is where we really express our dependence on God. Okay, you, you leave here today and say, God, I, I, I do, I, I see you, the end is coming. I want to live like you're coming back from me. I want to be ready for that. I want to live the way that I should uh, so I want to be serious-minded. I want your perspective. But God, I, I have some ideas about that, but I don't really know for sure. I need you to help me know what that means this afternoon. When I go to bed tonight, would you help me, Lord, to know what that means? When I get up tomorrow, help me to know what that means. Then help me to do it. Because my natural tendency, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. That's hard. It's inconvenient. God, please work in me. Don't let me slip on this. Keep after me. Oh, God, please help me. And by faith, and I'm, I'm going to take those steps and trust you to do it. But so it's where we express our dependence on God. And so the fact that the Lord is returning, the end is near one way or the other. He's either returning for us personally when our, uh, our life comes to an end or he's returning for all of us in the rapture. He's... Uh, we should be serious about life. Because this life is really pretty short. And, and all of you who are younger than me have heard it for years, right? It goes fast. And, and it might seem long to us, but compared to eternity, this is like, right? That's it. And that's all the time we have to prepare for all the things that God wants us to do in eternity and will enable us to do in eternity. All right, so we need to be watchful, or excuse me, be serious-minded in expressing our dependence on the Lord. Remember Jesus said, without me you can do three or four things. No, without me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing of eternal significance. Nothing of eternal value. You can only do it with him. And so we need to be conscious of expressing our dependence on him. Verses 8 and 9. And above all things, we say, wow, this is right at the top here. Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So second thing, become passionate and practical about loving your fellow believers. Both passionate and practical. So, um, a while back, we had this same word, fervent. And in the Greek word, do you remember what it means? It means to stretch out. So he's saying, stretch out your love. Okay? Stretch it out. And not let it be like this. 
stretch out your love. Okay. So if we're going to do that, we're going to have to stretch ourselves, aren't we? So Deb, you just did a ladies' Bible study on this whole idea of loving people, right? Does that require people to stretch themselves? Absolutely, that's right. And so, we're talking about the kind of love that stretches you, okay? Is that in there, Barry, or is that not in there? Oh, it is, yeah, okay. The kind of love that stretches you. This means it's love that's outside your comfort zone. You're talking about acting in the best interest of other people because you value them. And so that will put you outside of your comfort zone. It will put you outside of what's convenient when you love, when you stretch out your love to people and stretch yourself in it. Um, now, let me say this doesn't mean that there are no boundaries. Doesn't mean that. Because let me tell you, if, if you need to be loving People, maybe specific people, you need to be doing that, and you let yourself get burned out to where you can't be loving them. That's not loving, is it? So we're not saying there's no boundaries, but if you're, you have boundaries, not because you don't want to be inconvenienced, <laughs> you don't have boundaries because it's uncomfortable, you have boundaries so that you can keep loving the way that you're supposed to. Does that make sense? Okay. So that doesn't mean that what everybody else thinks you should do because you're loving is what you're supposed to do. Um, it does mean that we love even when it's not easy. We act in other people's best interests. We love even when it's not fun. We love even when it's inconvenient. We love even when it costs us something. It's the kind of love that stretches you. Second kind of love it is, it's the kind of love that overlooks shortcomings. Because what's it say here? For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this does not mean, oh, hide the sins. Oh, hide the sins. Don't let them see. Don't let God know. I mean, you know, hide the sins. No. <clears throat> Here's what I find in my experience with people. Sometimes I have someone, and it's never any of you, I promise you. <laughs> I get frustrated with somebody. Anybody ever get frustrated with people? You know, like this is the 20th time or whatever, you're frustrated. Or they get, you get, they're irritating. They annoy you. And you think, why should I? This is a good, I can't even put in words, right? What I notice is when I say, wait a minute. And the Holy Spirit probably says, wait a minute, Walt. Look, and I think, okay, no, I need to love this. This person's made in the image of God. This person has been hurt by sin. This person, God loves and valued enough to send his son. And, and we're fellow travelers in this. And I begin to look at this person differently. All of a sudden, I'm not noticing all that stuff. I mean, I may know it, right? You still know it, but it just isn't what you're focusing on anymore. It isn't what's controlling your relationship anymore. It's love is covering that stuff. And boy, I tell you what, if, if we are going to try to love each other with, or, or interact with each other without love, guess what we're all going to see? We're going to see each other's frustrating, annoying, irritating, 
I shouldn't have to deal with this stuff. So uh, Peter says, look, above all, you got to put on love because it, it, it deals with that so that you can actually be free to interact with each other and help with each other. Yeah, well, do you see what that person was really like? Yeah, I, I do. So I see what I'm really like too. And God sees what we're both really like. And he said, love, I'm going to love you. And he's put his love in our hearts. He has put his love in our hearts. That's what it says. And I find something, an illustration for you. When I'm at home, or anywhere for that matter, but I, I go to a sink and I open the faucet, turn the faucet, opens it, what happens? I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time, what happens? Water comes out, right? What's, and then you turn it off, it doesn't come out. I think it's, it's off, so where's the water? Well, is it there? It's right there. It's ready to come out. All I have to do is open the faucet and it comes out. Well, God has, Romans chapter 5 says, God has put his love and spread it out in our hearts. Yeah, but I, well, open it up. Love somebody. You know? And it will indeed cover a multitude of sins. Now, the idea of uh, this being practical in the next verse, or the second half of the verse, I mean, or no, verse nine, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, okay? Hospitable, we typically think of being, you know, we tip, well, our houses, right? We open up our house, somebody can come in. Uh, we're, we're showing hospitality. Um, so let's say it like this. Oh, you already got it up there, great. <laughs> The kind of love that leads you to open up your life to other people. Opening up your life, that's a scary thing, isn't it? John, in his first letter, says, perfect love or full, complete love casts out fear. I'm afraid to open my life to you. Maybe because of what you would think of me or how you might judge me or you would reject me. I, I don't know. I'm afraid to open my life. Uh, you know what will overcome that? It's when I love you. Because when perfect love casts out fear, right? And so as I love you, and the more I become understanding and I love you more, I am now in a place where I can be open with you about my life. I can actually invite you into my life. And of course, this picture here, the hospitality, this is being, like I said, it's more than just open up your house. It is about opening up your life to people. Look what it says, though. Be hospitable without what? Grumbling. Grumbling. Grumble is one of those words that kind of sounds like what it is. Grumble, 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 grumble. And so the idea is this. So, you know, let's say, and, uh, and I, this is not really the way I am, okay? But let's say Glenda says, you know, let's, let's have some these people over. You know, we, we want to connect with them. We want to know them. We want to be able to maybe minister and help to them. And I go, yeah, sure. <laughs> Can't we all plead guilty of that sometime? Oh, yeah. We smile like this. Don't do that. The end is coming. The Lord's returning. Our, our life is short. 
Open your lives up to people. Love people and open up. This is a practical expression of love. Open your life to people. And I understand we're different personalities and that isn't going to look the same for all of us. That's fine. But you need to do it. Okay? The Lord has called us to these things. And this word hospitality literally means loving strangers. And so the idea is we need to... Yeah, well, sometimes people seem strange, right? But we love strangers. We let them into our lives. And the idea is that as we love them in this way, before long they aren't strangers anymore. Right? Hospitality is about loving strangers until they aren't strangers anymore. Okay? And what I find is that um, when we are, you know, love like this, you know, love with the shortcomings of love in ways that we open up ourselves to others. Uh, it makes difficult people seem not so difficult. Okay? So be compassionate and practical about loving your fellow believers. Verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And he isn't talking here with gifts about Christmas gifts, although you could do it with a Christmas gift. He isn't talking about that kind of thing. He's talking about things that God has placed into our lives. And this can be just natural talents or abilities. Okay? Uh, this could be skills that you develop in life. It could be um, resources that you have to use in life. And, and it certainly includes something that God does in each Christian that, to enable them to do what he wants them to do, to call them to do. And so, um, and by the way, let's just look at the, the words here. All right, verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This manifold can be like many colored or many faceted. And so God has gifted all different ways, different people, different life experiences that go along with it. But the one thing we have in common two things we have in common. One is that we have those things from God. And secondly, we need to use them for God. Amen. Now for me, just to give you an example, I, uh, it comes natural to me to, to be able to read things and look at, at situations and all this and kind of make sense out of it, especially when it comes to then explaining it to other people. Helping other people to understand. Okay, I, I like, I, I teach. It's just, it's, it comes natural to me. I, uh, kind of analytical. You guys never figured that out, did you? Okay. Um, you know, I, I've taught music lessons. I enjoyed the, the teaching of that. I've, I still teach speech to students today. I mean, it's just, I, to teach something, you give me something to teach, I, I love it, to teach it, all right. God has given me the opportunities to do that. And I've largely taken them, okay? And then I believe that he has done what he talks about in the Bible. He's also given me a spiritual gift of teaching, which means that I am able then to do that with God's word and understand it. I mean, there are people online who talk about the Bible and what it means who don't know the Lord 
and they're talking from a philosophical standpoint, and they're reading, and they, they think they do, but they do not understand what the word says. Okay. But for Christians, we have the Spirit, but then for someone who doesn't get the teaching, we can see, okay, what's the, what's the point here? What does this look like? How does this flesh out in our lives? And how do I explain this to someone? So God has given me that, all right? And so I need to be a good steward of that. You know, I don't know what your thing, maybe your thing is, that you are really good at showing hospitality, right? It comes natural to you. You can see where people are. Maybe you're, what's real, you're really good at is that you care about people. You know when people are hurting. You can just see it, right? I'll have a conversation with somebody and go home. Sometimes Glenda and I are like this, and we'll talk to us about somebody, and I said, she says, did you see, you notice that so-and-so, you know, really seems to be hurting or having a hard time? And I go, I talked to them, and they seem fine. You see, she has a gift from God there, and she needs to exercise. So we need to do that. What, what's yours? You have something. It could be that you're just real strong physically and things you can do. Maybe you're, you're very smart. Maybe you can organize things. My, I have a granddaughter um, who we have at home. We have a big jar of little animals, little plastic animals, right? All different kinds of animals. And, you know, the boys get them and they fight and they throw them. And, but my granddaughter gets them and she pours them out. And she, I kid you not, you know, by half an hour later, she has them all organized by something. By color or kind or size or some other. And she organizes all those things. Maybe that's you. Right? And, and you, you can serve by organizing all different kinds of ways. But the idea is we need to bring these things to bear. Be good stewards of them. That means they've got given to us by God. We need to use them the way he wants us to use them. And by the way, this is one of the ways we can love other people. It's by taking our strengths and using it to help them in those things. Uh, so it is really, really crucial. It's a way to bless others. And then in uh, verse 11... If anyone speaks, okay, so we're talking about these gifts. If anyone speaks, you get the opportunity to speak for the Lord. Let him speak as the oracles of God. And that's kind of a fancy word, oracles. It means that you say what God says. You say what God wants to be said. Okay, I'm going to do that. If anyone ministers, that means serving in some way. Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. If you show hospitality, hospitality, show it with the heart of God. If you, you care for people and, and know when people are hurting and, or, or even know when they're happy, whatever, but you can minister to them there. Do that with the heart of God. This is not about doing our own thing. This is not about Walt coming in here and saying, I know how to talk. That's a waste, right? It needs to be what does God wants said. And so... All of these ways that we're able to serve him, he says, if you get the opportunity, I'll make this be about what God wants to accomplish. Not what you want to accomplish separate from God. So he continues. Why? That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the fourth thing, keep remembering that your life is about glorifying God. Look, the end's coming. And what do you think your life is going to be about after the Lord returns for you? 
It's about him. Serving him. Well, guess what it's supposed to be about now? That's what your life's supposed to be about. There is no other legitimate purpose for your existence. This is why we're here. To glorify God. And by glorifying God, that means we let him have his way in our lives so that he can be seen in our lives and so that he can be known, not only to us, but to others through us. That's how we glorify God. Okay, and it's rightfully his. And... um, Failing to do this, and I couldn't quite figure out the words to use here. As a Christian, or even anybody, but as a Christian especially, failing to live with this mindset makes your life fuzzy. Makes it unclear. Gives you the feeling of being unsettled. Because you're not doing what you were made to do. It's like something I did recently when I tried to use a tape measure for a hammer. Didn't work so well. And so sometimes, you understand what I mean? We're doing it in our lives. If we need to say, my life is about glorifying the Lord. All these things that are going on in my life, that if I'm doing it, if God has given it, and I'm doing it, it's got to be about glorifying, letting him, letting him be worked in me and through me, letting him be seen here, his ways, his wisdom, his love, letting that come through. And this is not about... The word I had, it's not about groveling. It's not about being a doormat and of no consequence. That's not what this is at all. A song we're gonna sing in just a little bit starts off, down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. And here's the truth. We experience the greatest blessings when our lives bring God the greatest glory. And so when we submit to him, we make our lives about glorifying him, all of a sudden, you know, whatever we think we're having to sacrifice, whatever hardships we're having, all of a sudden we discover that, wait a minute, this is where the joy is. This is where the satisfaction is. This is where the fulfillment is. This is where my purpose is. You know, it just comes to life. And everything else is a deception, and that's where Satan wants you. He wants you to see, thinking that somehow or other this is not as good as something else. It's a lie. There's nothing better that you could ever be in your life than for you to say, my life is about glorifying God. And we've talked about, oh God, help me to know how to do that. Life can become really exciting. Greatest thing you could ever do. So Christ's return is imminent. Therefore, we have some things we have to do. Get serious about your life and your dependence on God in it. Become passionate practical about loving your fellow believers. Be a good steward of your abilities, opportunities, and God's grace. And then finally, keep remembering that your life is about glorifying God. So I want you to join with me in singing a chorus that most of you probably know. It's the one I quoted just a minute ago.
me here. Down at your feet, oh Lord, is the most high place. In your presence, Lord, I seek your face. I seek your face There is no higher calling No greater honor than to bow And kneel before your throne I'm amazed at your glory embraced by your mercy oh Lord I live to worship you really sing it to the Lord now there is no higher calling no greater honor than to bow and kneel before your throne. I'm amazed at your glory embraced by your mercy. Oh Lord, I live to you, oh Lord, I live to worship you, oh Lord, I live to worship you. Father, we thank you that you have called us to this great, great calling. Help us to remember that the end is drawing near, one way or another for us. Remind us to be serious, to pray, to be dependent, and, and to love, to serve others, to see how you have gifted us and, and, and use that in, in loving others. that we might glorify you. And again, I pray, Lord, if we have anybody here or anybody watching who does not know your son as Savior, who hasn't settled that issue, they can't even begin to do this, Lord. I pray you would help them to know that and that you'd stir their hearts and draw them to make a decision to trust Jesus as Savior and to be willing to reach out for help if they need it, Lord. So thank you, Lord speaking to us from your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Have a great week. <laughs>